Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Henry Nouwen was lost. Now, you might not know that name, Henry Nouwen, off the top of your head. He was a spiritual writer in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and one of the most influential theologians of his time. He taught for many years at Notre Dame and then later at Harvard Divinity School. Uh, he went on to serve as pastor of the Lark community in Toronto. He was somebody who was very influential in his field. But in the mid-1980s, he found himself totally, utterly lost. For all of his years of, of teaching and speaking, he found himself mentally and even spiritually exhausted. He was just utterly spent. He resigned from his position at Harvard. And then, just to put a little cherry on top, he got hit by a car. <laughs> With all of these things going on, he found himself and felt himself being just utterly lost. And in the midst of that, dark period in his life. He got an invitation to go to St. Petersburg in Russia. And while he was there, he went to an art museum and ended up spending hours, even days, in front of this painting, the one that you have here on the card. And this is your last reminder, if you didn't already grab one, to go ahead and go grab one by the worship folders there at the entrance to the sanctuary. It's the painting, The Return of the Prodigal Son, by the Dutch artist Rembrandt. And the actual painting of it, which is there in St. Petersburg, is something like eight by 10 feet tall. It's huge. And Nouwen spent all of this time just sitting in front of the painting, reflecting on not only the painting, but the parable, the story of Jesus that the, the painting is based on and depicts. And in the midst of all of those hours of reflection and spending time in prayer before the Lord, he recovered a sense of his identity, of his vocation, of who he was and who God was calling him to be. And out of the fruit of that time of reflection, he actually wrote a book on it entitled The Return of the Prodigal Son. And, you know, this parable is so beloved and so familiar, and I love preaching on it. I'd preach on it every week if I could, right? But at the same time, it being so familiar, sometimes it can be hard to, to come at it from a, a fresh way and to, to think about it anew. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is to allow Henry Nouwen and the artist Rembrandt to lead and to guide our reflections and meditations on this wonderful story of our Lord Jesus, which in many ways is a summary and an encapsulation of the message of the gospel. So please join me in holding on to this picture, and we're going to work our way both through the story and through the painting by focusing on the three principal characters, the father, his younger son, and his elder son. And I want to start with the father, who of course is that character on the left side of the painting. And in the story, as Jesus tells it, this father is one wild guy, because his son, his younger son comes to him and says, hey, pops. Um, I want the share of the inheritance that I've got coming to me. He says to him, in effect, Dad, drop dead. I just want you for your money. And of course, in this day and age, in that kind of culture, where is most of his wealth bound up in? His land. And so he's actually probably have to, has to liquidate some of his land to sell off his property in order to honor his son's ridiculous request. But he doesn't. This is who the father is. 
And not only that, but when that younger son later comes back, how does he receive him? Begrudgingly? Does he put him on probation for a little while? No. He eagerly receives him back, welcomes him, was looking for him, and when he comes, clothes him and throws for him this great big party. Not just that. We also learn from this father that when he's thrown that party and the older son is thrown a party of his own, a pity party, out away from the dance hall, what does the father do? He goes out and seeks out that older son. He doesn't do what you or I would probably do, which is to say, look, hey, every party needs a pooper. That's why we invited you. You want to go over there? More power to you. But we're not going to go out of our way to bring you in here, right? We're not, not going to let you harsh our mellow, as they say. We're going to have a good old time. But instead, what's the father do? He goes out and seeks even that older, proud, self-righteous son. This is who the father is. He's the one who receives the reckless who pursues the prideful and desires to celebrate with all of us. This father is the incarnation of grace, the embodiment of compassion. That's who he is. And how does Rembrandt depict this in the painting? Well, I want to draw your attention to a few details. First of all, you just notice how the father is bathed in light, the light there falling on his face. And we see he's clothed in this beautiful red cloak, which tells us, first of all, that he's wealthy, that he is rich in mercy, you might say. But also the way that that cloak is spread over his shoulders, it brings to mind a, a sense of wings. And you might remember a couple of weeks ago in the gospel, Jesus spoke of himself as that mother hen. Oh, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks and you would not. Here we see the father as that hen who desires to welcome in the baby chicks. But especially when I look at this picture of the father, my eye is drawn to his hands. Look closely at those hands. The left hand, so strong and grizzled through hard work, but the right hand, the right hand looks almost soft and gentle, motherly, if you will. And theologians through the ages have spoken of God's two hands this way. His left hand, of justice, his strong hand of justice, but also his right gentle hand of mercy. Both of those working together in concert. And here we see the Father with both those hands, the strong left hand of justice and the right gentle hand of mercy, receiving back his Son, the one who, of whom he is now saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased how we ought to see the Father, your Father, for you, the embodiment of mercy and grace, the one whom author Tim Keller calls the prodigal God. Yes, the prodigal God, because he is the one who is reckless with his grace, who gives away all things, who for your sake and mine sacrifices everything in order that he might make us part of his family, in order that he might welcome us back home again and again and again, such is the love of the Father. But it doesn't stop there. I want to turn next to that younger son, the one who's bowed down before the Father here. 
And when we look at this younger son in the story, he is the epitome of recklessness. That's what that word prodigal really means, is to be reckless and wasteful. And um, Kenneth Bailey, who's a a cultural anthropologist and a, a writer and theologian, he talks about how he would go throughout the Middle East and he would relate this story the people, to the people to whom Jesus first told the story. And when you would tell this story and get to the this part about the younger son asking for his inheritance straight away, he said again and again and again, the people freaked out. They had this reaction like, wait a second, there's no way you can't do that. How should the father react? They all respond the same way. He should beat him until he's kicked out of town. Out you go, through the door, out the window, right? But this is not how the father receives this reckless younger son, as impertinent, as disrespectful and wasteful as he is. And Rembrandt depicts this in a couple of ways. First of all, you notice his clothing, right? And you look at his clothing, he's just kind of clothed in the undergarments of the day. This is a man who has been on a long and humiliating journey. Look at his feet. You see with his feet, with his sandals, the one of them is totally taken off. You can't even resole it. The other one is still there, but it's broken down and beaten up as well. These are feet that have walked long in order to come back. They're feet that have learned what it means to have to repent. And not only that, but look at his head. He's got the shaved head, which at first glance, it looks like the head of a prisoner. A man who has been stripped of his identity of his individuality who has come back to the father seeking simply to be a servant but there's another way to look at that head too henry nowen brings this out that you might also look at it and see the head of a newborn of one who is freshly born and this too i think is appropriate there as he is in the the lap of his father We see one who, as Paul says, is a new creation, who has been received back by the Father and made new, made his own, made holy by the love of the one who has called him back to himself. This is the promise for each and every one of us. Martin Luther said that the whole of Christian life is one of repentance. And that so often as we turn from our sins, as we come back to the Father, the first moment that that word is on our tongue, Father, I'm sorry. God already is like, yep, okay, here comes the party, right? I'm glad to have you back. Come back to me now. That is the attitude and the posture of the Father toward you and me. Even when we come before God with our our broken down, there we are in our undergarments, our head shaved. We look like we have been just going through all sorts of, of disastrous consequences from our own sin. Still again and again and again, the Father gladly, joyfully receives you and me. Even as we see here, the father wanting nothing more but to bless, to lay his hands on, and to bless his younger son. But what about that elder son? You know, we think of the younger son as being the the wasteful, reckless one. But that elder son in the story, is he any less wasteful and reckless? We hear how when the the party is being thrown, he goes out, he leaves, he, he goes off a far distance. When he finds out that his younger brother has returned. He says to his father, this son of yours, he's disowned him. He wants nothing to do with him. And he has this mindset, this attitude, that he himself is simply a servant, a slave, and not a son. All these years, I have slaved for you, and I didn't get so much as a young goat to celebrate with my friends. 
He reveals and exposes himself in that moment that he has not had the mindset of a son, but of a slave, thinking that that's all that he was. How wasteful, how reckless. And see how the painter Rembrandt brings this out. Because first of all, he has a kind of theological interpretation of the story in the painting because as we learn, the elder son is not there in the party. He's out in the fields. But here, Rembrandt puts him there, but he's far off. He's to the side. And not only that, he's, he's standing alongside this servant. Notice the servant next to him he's, who's seated. And you might not be able to tell, if you, but if you look close, that servant is beating his breast. And here Rembrandt is calling to mind the, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The tax collector, all he could do was beat his breast and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Whereas the Pharisee stands and boasts before God of all the great things that he has done. So we have that same kind of pharisaical attitude in the elder brother with his hands clasped, holding standoffish away from his father and from his younger brother. As Rembrandt depicts for us that kind of self-righteous attitude. But also I want you to notice this. See how that elder brother shares these characteristics and uh, similarities to his father. He's got the, the beard, just like his dad. And that same cloak that covers the father also covers him. See, it's Rembrandt's way of saying what Jesus says in the parable. All that the father has is yours. Already you are an heir to all that is mine. You have been given all things. And here we see what is really the greatest tragedy. What is the greatest tragedy? It's to have been given all things and not realize it. The greatest tragedy is to be a child and an heir and instead to live like you were a slave. So it was for the elder son. And so it can be for any of us when we have an attitude toward God regarding him not as the loving father who joyfully receives you and me not because of how faithful we have been, how obedient we have been, but simply and solely because we are His. How great a tragedy it is when instead we regard God simply as a taskmaster, as a slave driver, as one who is waiting in heaven with His arms crossed, balancing the scales and seeing whether you measure up. No, Christ Jesus expended all as the true and faithful prodigal in order to bring you back to the Father. Already you have been given all things in Him. As St. Paul says in his letter to the Romans, how can He who has given up His own Son for us all, how can He not also with Him graciously give us all things? And Paul says again in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, all things are yours. He says in Galatians chapter 4, you are no longer slaves, but sons and daughters and heirs with Christ Jesus. Know this, that you are not slaves, but you are children of the Heavenly Father. Don't live as though you did not already belong to the family of God. Do not take part in this greatest of tragedies of forgetting that all things already are yours. And you know, that's kind of how Jesus leaves the story with this invitation to the elder son? Will he embrace that identity? Will he remember that he is beloved? And it's interesting. 
Rembrandt brings us across, not in something that he paints, but in what he doesn't paint. Now, conventionally, the focus of the painting is the center of the composition. That's where you put the most important piece, the thing that you want people to really um, key in on. But notice in the painting here, in the center, you have a gap. You have this opening between the elder son and the father and the younger son. And it's as though Rembrandt is trying to convey for you and me with that onlooker there in the middle, that's us. And the question to you and me is, are we going to cross that gap? Are we going to embrace our identity? Are we going to live into the reality that God has already created for us in Christ Jesus? Or are we going to continue to live as slaves? And I just want to close with this, with the realization that Henry Nouwen had as he was reflecting on this and looking at this painting. And the realization came along with an understanding of some of the history of the painter himself, of Rembrandt. See, Rembrandt had been the younger son. In his younger days, he had been a wastrel. He had been somebody who had been decadent and had been going out and just spending all of the money that he was, he was getting as a painter and his fame and just wasting it all. But then as he got older, he got a little bit wiser, he became more like that elder son. He became prideful. And as he, he grew in his Christian identity or his religious identity, he also became more self-righteous, looking down on others, looking down on his own past and saying, oh, nobody should ever be like that. He had been the younger son and he had been the elder son. But life has a way of humbling all of us. And in the course of time, Rembrandt lost not one, not two, but three of his children and his wife. And when he painted this painting, he was toward the end of his life. He was in his 60s. And he identified himself no longer with the younger son, nor indeed with the elder son, but instead with the father. And the face of the father in this painting is actually a self-portrait of Rembrandt himself. And here was the realization for Nouwen that the calling for all of us is not simply to return home, but to become more and more like God the Father, to be imitators of God, it says in the scriptures, as those who are heirs with Christ, heirs of the family business, you might say, who are growing to share the Father's heart that's the greatest gift. No longer do we embrace this greatest of tragedies, which is to live as though we were not sons and daughters, to forget, to fail, to recognize and realize that all things are ours, but instead to lean into and to embrace this greatest of gifts, that we have been made children of the Heavenly Father, that all things are ours in Christ Jesus, and that we can share our Father's heart. It's the beautiful message that our Lord Jesus conveyed, that the painter depicted, and that day by day, each and every one of us, by the grace of God, are living and leaning into. All things are yours in Christ. Let us never forget it. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing.